Welcome to Cinematicon X Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast hosted by Kenny and and Justin. That's right. We have a special guest for this episode. Uh, it's uh, Justin, my friend. You may have heard him on the Asinine Radio podcast. Uh, he's not one of the normal hosts, but he's a frequent guest over there. And for today's episode, we're discussing The Evil Dead from 1981. Uh, so this is a film that was uh, written and directed by Sam Raimi. It stars Bruce Campbell and has a musical score by Joseph Loduca. It was filmed on a tiny budget by an inexperienced cast and crew. Uh, the film takes place in a cabin in the woods, and the cast and crew actually lived in that cabin while they filmed the movie, where there was no running water or heating. Uh, by the end of the shoot, most of the cast had left uh, because they just had other things to do. They had jobs. Um, and uh, so in some shots in the film, you can very clearly see that the characters are not being played by the actors they're being played by somebody else in a, a cheap wig um and uh also by the end of the shoot they had uh sort of taken apart a lot of the furniture in the cabin and burnt it in the fireplace just for warmth um, so it's one of the great uh independent films it's one of the great sort of uh no budget success stories uh, because it went on to be a big hit, obviously it spawned the Evil Dead franchise. Uh, two sequels, and then a remake, and a TV show. And we're going to cover all of them on this podcast. Uh, not this particular episode, but uh, over the next three episodes. Uh, but this one's just the first Evil Dead film. I'll start with a plot summary so that we're on the same page. So, spoilers ahead. Uh, so, five college kids, Scott and his girlfriend, Shelly, Ash Williams and Ash's girlfriend Linda and his sister Cheryl travel to a cabin in the woods to spend a weekend there. In the cabin's fruit cellar, Ash and Scott discover an ancient Sumerian text, the Nacharan de Manto. When they play a tape recording of passages from the book, it resurrects Kandarian demons who begin to assault them. Cheryl, hearing a noise outside the cabin, goes out to investigate and is attacked and raped by the trees. She escapes and makes her way back to the cabin, where she insists that Ash drive her back to town. They discover that the bridge that seems to be their only route back to civilization has been destroyed and return to the cabin. There, Cheryl is possessed by a demon and tells the remaining four friends that they will also be possessed one by one by the evil forces. As the night continues, Ash battles his possessed friends in an attempt to survive until morning. Okay, so that's the end of my opening monologue so what are our thoughts about the evil dead it was very good i liked it very much hmm that's a riveting analysis mm -hmm. as always <laughs> i don't know i feel like with this movie it's kind of hard because I like tried to transport myself into like 1981 because this film was like pretty controversial and was like in the UK like, like a video nasty and like banned in a bunch of countries and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what else was coming up? What, what else was out around that time that like for reference type of thing? Because like, to me it was definitely not shocking. Like maybe it would have been back then. So. And I also kind of like hadn't seen this in forever, so in my mind I was like mixing up Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness so much. I was like, where's that stupid hand thing? Like, is it <laughs> yeah. like Evil Dead 2 or whatever? Yeah. Why doesn't he stay the stupid 
Clarktoon, or at, uh, I probably said it wrong, like Ridley Stevens or something. Yeah. Oh, you basically said it. But I don't know, I, like, it, it was still pretty uh, scary. But I feel like what was lost on me was like the gory stuff, mm-hmm. which I think would have freaked people out back then, was just kind of ridiculous to us. Because it's just, yeah. And obviously in, in Evil Dead 2 and in Darkness, they like really play up on that. You know, Astros Evil Dead, they really play up on the gore. Like it's, you know, and um, Dragon and Hell. Yeah, so that those films are part of a sort of subgenre that people call splatstick. It's like slapstick, but with gore. Um, and I guess that's one debate around the Evil Dead is, is it a comedy? Because a lot of people will say, no, actually, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, those are horror comedies. But the original film is just a horror film. Uh, but I am actually in the camp, if there is such a camp, of people who think, yes, the first one is a comedy. It's just that there aren't a lot of, like, constructed jokes like with a setup and punchline but i think that the gore becomes so extreme that it is funny and i think it would have been funny even back then the way some of these scenes like drag on and on like my favorite one is um evil shelly's death scene that just lasts for like five minutes she has this death scream of like (laughs) like it just is it just goes on and on and we keep cutting back to her and then cutting back to ash and scott as they react and they're just and and it just at a certain point it becomes hilarious it's one of those things where you can just repeat if you do it long enough it just gets funny and then it sort of stops being funny and then it becomes funny again (laughs) yeah i mean Henry and I sort of already mentioned Ash's facial expressions during that whole scene where he's all he's like this. He's like, This is fucking crazy. <laughs> this is ridiculous. And he's just like so astonished that this is continually going on. But um again, I, I don't really know. I, I try to think of like what were some of the other films. Um Well we I, just the last episode we did was The Shining, which came out the previous year. Okay. I mean, yeah, I just think about that, like how different those two films are. Uh, I looked up some ones that are kind of similar. Halloween came out in 78. Mm-hmm. Not too far. I think Halloween 2 was like about to come out or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was, came out in 84. Friday the 13th, 1980. So it just come out. Yeah, this was like the early, this was the heyday of the, sla- <clears throat> of the slasher film. Right, and this is not a slasher. It's okay. not, but I think it, it, it uh, inherits some of the sort of visual language of the yes. slasher film with like the point of view shots that <laughs> stalk the characters. Yeah. yeah. Through the window. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not very. Like, they do a lot of those things, but then it's not really like about that, though. I don't know, like, that thing doesn't really isn't the main antagonist. Mm-hmm. Well, it sort of is, right? It, it possesses the characters. And so when when Ash is fighting his possessed friends, he's sort of really fighting whatever the demonic force is that's yeah. outside in the woods. No, why doesn't it possess him? You know, I was like, yeah, it, yeah, I was thinking about that this time. Like, you know, because there's some there's some horror movies that have clearly defined rules. Like we watched uh, It Follows, and that's a story about a monster that has these very clear rules. You know, you can only see it if you're under the curse, it walks in a straight line towards you, etc. And uh, then there are some horror films where they don't really have rules. Like a lot of ghost movies, it's just like 
Right. Anything can happen. The ghost can make anything happen. There's no clear boundaries for like where it can and can't go or you know what its powers are. Um, and I think Evil Dead is interesting because it's kind of in the middle. Like we get some rules, right? Like deadites have to be dis, uh, dismembered in right. order to be killed. Um, and otherwise they'll come back to life. Uh, and then at the end, they didn't establish earlier, but we do discover that the, the destroying the book can destroy the yeah. the other monsters. So uh, there are some rules, but then there's also a sense in which just kind of anything can happen. Yeah, it's like chaos to me. Like, like the, the evil, that's what I call the spirit thing. Like the evil, I don't know what else to call that. It's right, it can go through windows. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Can, sometimes, you're right. Other times it's like, oh. Right, yeah. Sometimes it seems like it can't go into the house, right? Like it's when they close the door, yeah, it it stops pursuing them. So it seems like the house is some kind of charmed space that it can't enter. But then at another point in the film, it just crashes right through the window and goes in. So yeah, like one of the the end sequences where is it Cheryl? That's the sister. Yeah. But like he like puts the oven thing in front of the door to stop her from coming in. And it's, the door is, there's two windows that are, like, already broken next to it. It's like, like he thinks this is going to stop it, and it does. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, and then in, in terms of no rules, like, when he goes into the cellar and, like, all the blood starts coming everywhere, like, mm. what the fuck is that? Where's that blood coming from and stuff? Yeah, well, that's another, like, <laughs> horror movie trope at this point. We also talked about the Amityville horror uh, and that's oh, yeah. that's a film where the walls bleed, mm-hmm. um, and uh, in The Shining, obviously you have the elevator that opens and the blood comes out. So that's a sort of a well-worn trope at this point. It's yeah, like the, the haunted house that bleeds. In some of those, it's like like The Shining. It's not like real, right? I mean, is what what is real in The Shining? <laughs> but I mean, like you know, like at the end of that scene, there's like puddles of blood. And the right that's that's true and there is like a, a, a physicality to everything in this film yeah. um even as it gets really out there like ash seeing his reflection in the mirror and then reaching in and it's just water um it's like he's put his hand into a pond there's still this like this physicality to everything that happens um which i think is you know, it's a big part of the charm of the film that it would be hard to recreate nowadays because they do everything with CGI. Um, it's just the, the, that everything in the film, they had to somehow make it happen on this tiny budget. So even though it looks bad a lot of the time, there's a, char- there's a charm to it, you know, that when uh, they're hitting Cheryl with the, the butt of the uh, mm-hmm. axe, it's just like this rubber puppet that that they're clearly. Yeah, eventually, he's just like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> like, it's a doll. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing about the budget—I thought the budget would be a lot less than it was. I mean, it's like somewhere like three hundred thousand, right? I thought it was on Wikipedia. It says ninety thousand. Oh. Well, the only reason I said it's, it's three hundred thousand is because I thought there was a famous uh, Sam Raimi quote where he's like. I remember Evil Dead and I Evil Dead Lever and my budget was three hundred thousand and then I did Spider Man and my budget was three hundred million. Mm. And it was kinda like he's he's playing off of that. Maybe ninety thousand is like the shooting budget and then they needed more money for like editing. Yeah, who knows? But you know, either way, that's like a tiny amount of money for to make a movie. Especially with this many special effects and stuff. 
Alright, I mean, I don't know. My, like, my uh, gold standard for low budget that did super well is, like, Paranormal Activity, right? Sure, I mean, I think... Like 40000 and they made, like, around fifty million. It was like fourteen thousand, yeah. So, so yeah, and Blair Witch Project is similar, but I think those are kind of in a category on their own. The found footage films, because you don't need so many of the things that you would normally need. Like you don't really need a crew, almost, right? Like you, just, the actors are holding the cameras. You have these crappy little cameras. I mean, they have a lot of the same thing. They, they I don't. Did all the camera work, pretty much. A lot of the crew, the the cast members were doing the yeah. operating the cameras, yeah. Um, they didn't have a tiny little crew, um, but uh, more special effects, yeah, and makeup and effects and stuff. Lighting, yeah. sound, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really love that they incorporated stop motion animation. Yeah, the end sequence. I love it. It's like uh, it reminds me of Beetlejuice, the yeah. ending, where like they're yeah. sticking their tongues out of their mouth. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, that's like the philosophy of the whole film, right? It's yeah. a kitchen sink movie. It's like they went out into the woods and they had so many imaginative ideas and they just threw everything in almost at random into the movie um, and didn't hold anything back. And that's definitely part of the comedy. It's just like, oh, there's, okay. Oh, that now. Oh, okay. And it just keeps, like, snowballing and getting more disgusting and more out there. Yeah. And it's really funny. It It was interesting that there was, like, a shift in the camera work towards the latter half of the film. Like, it's like, I'm going to start doing experimental camera shit, you know? Like, (laughs) let's start from upside down and then, like, turn it over. And there's a scene where you can tell he has the camera, like, sideways. Oh, yeah. It kind of makes it look like it's, I don't know. Those are called Dutch angles where the camera is tilted. And, yeah, they're used all throughout the film. But at the end, it's like almost nothing but Dutch angles. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's also the really cool shot that's uh, completely upside down. Like we're looking down. We start looking at uh, uh, Bruce Campbell, and he's totally upside down. And then we sort of pan over his head and then kind of come around to – that's actually Sam Raimi strapped to the ceiling of the cabin doing like a, a reverse sit-up I'm with the camera. Um, so, yeah, they had to like figure out all these weird technological things just to just I mean, I, I say technological. I mean, they're like strapping the camera to a wooden board and stuff, you know, right. but like just figuring out engineering solutions for like the crazy things that Sam could imagine. Another one is the, the Sam Ramo cam which is where they stuck the camera to a board and then would ram it through things. So it would look like the evil force was just going right through the window or right through the door or whatever. Then all the scenes where the evil was running outside and stuff, that's just like them running with the camera, right? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's an early shot where the camera is like knocking over trees and stuff. So I think they must have had it on the front of like a car or you know some kind of vehicle that's able to push those those trees over. I mean, they're like fake trees that have been right. put there, but still, right. it would, you wouldn't be able to do that with your hand. They're pretty cool. I mean, you didn't mention their age. How old are they? They're like 20, right? Or 21? I think so. I think they're probably in college themselves. Yeah. So pretty pretty interesting. Impressive. Yeah, and you know, a lot of these people went on to do greater things. Sam Raimi is famous for the Spider-Man films. Uh, he's made a lot of stuff. I'm a big fan of his work in general. I love the Spider-Mans. 
Um, especially Spider-Man 3, which everyone thinks is the worst one, but I think is the best. Fight me. Uh, You've mentioned that like 45 times. Oh yeah? I don't think I've ever mentioned that. So much. <laughs> um, and uh, and then Bruce Campbell, you know, he's become like a sort of star. He was like in a, a ton of B movies for a long time. Um, and but then now he's sort of like I feel like he's made it at yeah. this point. He's fully like I don't I wouldn't say he's a list actor like Tom Hanks or anything, mm -hmm. but he's you know he was in Burn Notice. Uh, he was in you know tons of stuff. The the Ash vs Evil Dead. Yeah yeah. Well, you know, Bruce Campbell and Rob Stafford and Sam Raimi all went to high school together mm -hmm. and were already making, like, their own student films and stuff. And they'd already been working together for, like, quite a while when they did this. They all, like, already knew each other super well and done other stuff. So. Yeah, and, and I think you can see the sort of dynamic of their friendship, like, uh, inform what's happening in the film because they like to play pranks on each other uh kind of like how scott plays pranks on ash in the film and they also just kind of like to torment each other they had this sort of like sadistic mm -hmm. sense of humor and the film essentially becomes at a certain point let's abuse bruce campbell yeah. in every possible way so they're just like throwing like splattering random stuff into his face you know and that's the, the climax of the film is when the deadites are dying around him we just get shot after shot of his face as somebody off screen probably sam himself is throwing you yeah. know whatever yeah. in, in his friend's face yeah. and that's going to carry through the whole rest of the trilogy too um mm -hmm. as they just find various ways to abuse uh bruce so this is um a movie about evil presumably so what is how does the film construct evil like what is it that we're supposed to be afraid of in the evil dead i don't even know i, I know like before i came i tried to like do some research it's like, a metaphorical thing yeah like i tried to look at what were some of the themes what were some of the bigger things and it's pretty hard to like eke out any of those mm. other than the ones i make out myself because it seems like you said they just kind of threw the shit together and they're just kind of having fun and trying to scare people yeah. Um, they all have come, what are the big themes that we're trying well, like, to what do they think is scary then? I mean, to, from them trying to scare the audience, like, what are they reaching right. for? I think one thing that's interesting to me is like plants and nature. Right. Like when they, when the tape is read, it says that these demons, the Kandarian demons that are summoned, are the evil forces that live in the forests. So. Can be, right? yeah. yeah, and then the cabin is sort of sur surrounded by the forest, which is the space of evil, it seems mm -hmm. like. Um, and then obviously, like the first horrific thing that happens is the the infamous tree rape scene. Right. Um, and well, I mean, even before that, right? Like once the tape is being read, uh, like the first supernatural thing that happens is the tree crashes through the window and interrupts the tape. It always originates from the forest. It seems mm -hmm. it's like. The evil is out there somewhere, and it flies in from there always, knocking shit down. Or even actually, even before any of it, right when they're, when they're driving in, it's like hovering over the lake, right? Or whatever. Mm, yeah. Like, oh, shit, <laughs> but yeah, it's it like originally it's out there. It's out there. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's that famous shot where they're going into the cabin, 
uh, for the first time, um, we've got the the um, bench. What do you call that when you get like a bench that's suspended? Swing? Port swing. There you go. The port swing is kind of like hitting the right. cabin over and over. It's almost like a battering ram. Mm -hmm. It just gives you that sense that there's a force out in the forest that wants in. Um, so yeah, so the 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 forest being something that's scary and evil and like plants it's something i was thinking about also like when they get to the bridge right mm -hmm. the bridge is destroyed but the way that it's destroyed is kind of neat i love the like the the end of the bridge is sort of curled up like uh fingers or like tendrils um that kind of has this like organic look to it it wasn't just destroyed in an ordinary way <clears throat> I, I mean like i think the whole forest thing is, is like very much done in horror films and it's kind of interesting, you know, like, they use it in a, in a lot of different ways. Or, for example, it'll be like a branch is tapping a window or something. Mm. And, for example, even like from Snow White, like, I know this takes it back a bit, but she goes through the forest and it's like out to get her, or like it comes alive. What about Wizard of Oz? Yeah, and, and, but, but the thing is, in like a different context, it's just a, it's just a fucking forest, right? Mm -hmm. Like Blair Witch... It, it becomes scary because you're kind of lost and then you're kind of stuck in it. But it's just a forest. But in this case, it's like, it's out to, it's out to get you. Like, for real. Like, it's fighting back. Like, today I would have made some kind of like, oh, it's like nature is reasserting its dominance and it is attempting to uh, repel human incursions or something. Mm -hmm. But I don't really think they had that shit in 1981. Like, was the EPA just out or something? Like, yeah, um, that was like Nixon. That was like. in the seventies. Yeah. I mean, but I don't think that they're trying to do that. Yeah. Like they're just trying to say it's out there and it's controls this this space and mm. you can't leave. Basically, I don't know if it's like nature is trying to fight back because it also just takes it takes control of people too. So it's like. Yeah, I, I'm not saying this is like an environmentalist film yeah. or anything. I, I definitely, you know, like there's nothing to clue you into that in the dialogue yeah. or the action really um but i do think it sort of plays on a fear that we have of of nature and the idea that like there might be some spirit or life force or intelligence in nature that we're just not perceiving um i don't know i have a friend who just wrote a dissertation about uh sentient plants and uh, she talks a little bit about Evil Dead. She mentions Evil she Dead mentions in it. Dead. Um, so I had that in my brain. I mean, I know that the, the rape scene is seen as like probably the, the most controversial thing about the film. Definitely. And that Raimi himself is like, in interviews now, he says he regrets putting it in the film and that, you know, he, was, he didn't mean to offend people with this film and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know, what, what do you guys think about it, looking back 40 years, almost 35 years later, whatever, however long it's been? Mm. Do you think it was super bad? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Do you think the same? Yeah? Uh, I just don't think about it the way I think about it. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, you know, people are going to have very different perspectives on something like that, obviously, right. um, based on their own life and gender. Um it's it's definitely shocking. I mean, it's the first real like horror sequence that happens in the film, like I said. 
Um, and it's very, it's pretty extreme. I don't know. I, I think if there's one thing I could say to maybe defend it, it's that Cheryl comes off as like, I mean, up to that point, she's kind of an idiot. Like, why is she walking around in the woods outside? Like, that's a moment where like everybody in the audience is like, what the hell are you doing? Why walk out into the foggy night? If you think there's something scary out there, you would stay inside. But then once she gets attacked, she sort of becomes a very like proactive character. She right. fights off the thing and then she goes back and tells her her friends and they don't listen to her, but she just doesn't care. Like she's just pushes through their objections. She doesn't let them, you know, shut down her uh, experience, right. you know, like they're telling her, no, that couldn't have happened. And she sort of like insists and makes Ash take her into the car and, and leave. So I don't know. I think... Uh, if there's anything uh, on the progressive side about that that sequence in the film, that that would be it. I mean, like to me, if it was their goal to make it like, for example, she she gets um, she's like the first one to get attacked in a sense. Like remember, she's trying to she, she writes the book thing, mm -hmm. but she doesn't mention it, right? She doesn't mention that, and she she mentions that the trees attacked her. She doesn't mention that. She's almost like the 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 spokesman for well, I mean she is like she when she first gets possessed, they're like speaking through her and saying, We're gonna get all of you. Um but then throughout the rest, I think is she the only one that No, she does she's not the only one who speaks, but um uh Linda just kind of like has this these sing song little things that she does. Yeah, like lullabies that she sings. Whereas she's like, you know, the 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 voice of the entity but that's the other thing i thought was weird is that like i didn't really understand she's the most afraid but she's like from the beginning right she wants to like get the fuck out of there but she's also the one that is the earliest to succumb to the people mm. but the other ones maybe it's like with the shining where like she's the most sensitive to the okay. i was kind of thinking that too because the guy Never gets possessed. Neither of the guys are getting possessed. No, Scott does in the end. Well, I guess he's, he's already dead. dead. He's but. yeah, but the, all the women get possessed. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like to me, it's. I mean, going back to the rape scene, it's it's almost like I don't know. Again, like I don't really think these guys are like trying to make larger points. They're just like let's shock people. Yeah, I think they probably we're not thinking deeply about all this stuff, right? But the text can still have a message, right? Yeah. And it does, whether you want it to or not. Um, so I'm just trying to think about what that would be in this case. Well, I mean, I was reading about people's sort of uh, how they felt about those scenes. And some people were like, well, this is like a, 
a town where women shouldn't go like out there on their own and mm-hmm. this is like what could happen to you she's like, like getting punished and then also that no one will believe you if it does happen to you type of thing again i don't think the movie is trying to make that message at all but that's like something someone else got out of it yeah you know, like in the 80s or something like it's it's a woman's fault and i know there's people that still think that today yeah. I mean, I think it's it's part of a general strategy that the film pursues for generating horror, which is like uh, things involving your bodily boundaries, like the things that you would most not want to happen to your body are going to happen, you know? So there's that, there's like the eye gouging se- sequence, there's... Um, the stabbing of the pencil into the Achilles right. tendon. Like there's like certain things that when you see it, you just go like, like you're, you're, not, you're like, yeah. uh, uh, there's a visceral reaction because you're imagining like, oh, you know, that what if that happened to me um, kind of thing. So I don't know. I think it's definitely like they're, they're, they're trying to zero in on the things that are most uncomfortable about our, our physical bodies and what could happen to them. I feel like it's just like, let's do the most extreme shit we can possibly think of. Yeah. And this is like the most horrible thing we can think of. So, I mean, I yeah, I, I understand like what they were going for. It's still very cringy, but you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold it against them. The new one too, that didn't have anything included exactly. Yeah. Different. Yeah, in a way, the whole series is like a series of revisions of the original film, the original concept, like the the sequel as well, Evil Dead 2. We're going to talk about that for our next episode. But it starts off like the first third of the film is essentially a remake. And that film also remakes the tree attack scene, but it's it's not a rape in the sequel. So I feel like they kept, they keep going back and trying to like almost rewrite that sequence. Um, yeah, one of the reasons why Evil Dead 2 is Hmm. Well, we'll we'll have to talk about that once yeah, once we get. Summary. I said something again. No, 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 no. That's fine. But when we get to our third episode, when we're like looking back, maybe we'll do like a ranking of the whole series. You know, for each of us, like, what what's our favorite, least favorite? Another thing I was thinking about, as far as like, how is the movie thinking about the evil force that we're supposed to be afraid of? Is like in terms of the comedy that we've talked about, because the demons are just having a grand old time. Like yeah. they are laughing their asses off for the whole film. And uh, so that makes me think that, I don't know, there's something evil about about comedy. And it's particularly about the kind of comedy that we in fact are watching as we watch Evil Dead, the kind of slapstick comedy where you're laughing because people are falling on their ass or, you know, like you're mm-hmm. laughing at bad things happening to other people. Like, this is what the demons do for fun. Like they torture these people and uh, they, they laugh at them. Um, when the record player comes on in the cellar, it puts on this like, it's like a classic comedy soundtrack. Um, and uh, so I wonder like, is the film kind of saying that, is it trying to almost perversely recruit us to be like the, the demons as we also laugh and enjoy this film um the 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 sort of the demons repeated uh catchphrase is join us you know are we being asked to join them 
and sort of become demonic as we enjoy these films. Yeah, so the movie Cabin in the Woods mm -hmm. is also kind of about how we enjoy horror films. And I guess I was picking up on that this time watching the film was like these weird like metafictional moments where we become aware of the camera, like when uh, blood covers the camera, blood sprays and it actually like runs down the camera lens. Um, or when uh, Ash is burying Linda and, or is it, I think it's Linda, yeah. Um, and the, the dirt covers the camera lens. Mm -hmm. um, that's an amazing shot, by the way. Um, and, uh, and then near the end of the film, when Ash is down in the cellar, he walks in front of a projector that turns itself on. And then he's sort of like blinded by the projector going in his face and then blood drips onto the lens of the projector. And so it's like covering the screen. Um, so those are all like moments where I think the film kind of reminds us that we're watching a movie and, uh, I don't know. I think in the commentary track, they say something about the projector in particular that they, that something movies, horror movies sometimes advertised about themselves is, would be, uh, that the blood will run down the screen or something like that. And they wanted to literally have the blood run down the screen. So yeah. I guess it's part of their like extremity, their philosophy of like, you know, going further than anyone has ever gone. Um, but it, it goes further in a way that reminds us that we're watching this this movie. I mean, I guess one thing that is sort of like interesting about this one is like, did, did, did you guys like feel yourself rooting for Ash? Were you like hoping he made it? Yeah. Oh, okay. You, I, you I was just kind of indifferent. Like, I was just mm. like, like dying, I guess. <laughs> Well, right, and then at the very end, it's almost like, you look kind of let's think he does that. Well, I mean, you have to factor in that, like, at this point in my life, I know Ash really well, you know, because mm -hmm. I've seen Evil Dead 2 right. and I hate darkness. Like, you can't love, you don't care about him that much in this film, so I can definitely see where that's coming from, but, like, because I know him, like, of course. Hmm. I feel like he, he doesn't. He has a very different personality in this film than he does in yeah. the later ones. He doesn't have this. Yeah, he's not the sort of swaggering uh, dumbass that he is in in the later films. Whereas here, here he, I think he has kind of a transformation in this film though, and he is kind of like an everyman um, in that he he's moral. He like he cares about his girlfriend. He actually mm -hmm. wants to save the other characters. Whereas Scott decides to like he says like I don't care what happens to her. Um, he's the one who actually cares and, and he starts off being totally paralyzed by fear and useless um, which actually I think is kind of neat like the film kind of does a baited switch because there's no clear protagonist at the beginning of the movie um, and the traditional protagonist for this kind of a horror film I think would be one of the female characters you have like the final girl who's supposed to survive at the end of a slasher um, and for a while it seems like Scott is kind of going to be the main character because he sort of takes the lead role in killing the the demons um and ash just like stands by and does nothing and is useless yeah. um and i think that's kind of neat because then when scott kind of uh does his heel turn where he says i don't care about her i'm gonna go out in the woods and we sort of know that that's stupid and he's gonna die then we're left alone with the character who's been established to be a weakling and this yeah. useless guy and it's like, well, <laughs> this is our life now. We're stuck with this this character who's not powerful, and so that establishes him as, you know, being that much more 
in danger. Ash is the final girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then it's kind of weird because he, he does attack Linda, but then he, he can't go through and dismember her. Like, he can't go through what has to actually be done. And we all know she's just going to come back. Mm-hmm. And later on, he's almost his demise. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, yeah, but the little necklace that he gave her that was like the thing that stopped him from chopping her up is he sees the necklace that he gave her. Um, that then is the instrument that he uses to get the Book of the Dead as he's being dragged away by Scott. And then he throws the book into the fire. So it's like, I think his love for Linda did, does in a way save him in the end, that that necklace that he got her. Wow. That thing's almost kind of like a replacement for humanity to me. Yeah. Yeah, like he takes it out when he's sitting by, standing by the door and like looks at it and like reminds, it's like his... His moral compass, or his like, yeah. But going back to the comedy, I guess it's like more of why people at the time, like, how did they view it? Yeah. If it was seen as a comedy, why was it banned in so many places? I mean, obviously, forget how gruesome it was. But if it's a comedy, like, I would think you would need to get a different rating, or like, they would view it totally differently as though this isn't as, I don't know. Well, I think Evil Dead 2 is pretty clearly a comedy, and yet that also, they gave it an X rating, so okay. it had to be released unrated. So it's been mostly good to make the, the violence and the Yeah, violence I think so, yeah. Yeah, and Evil Dead 2 also, like, they changed the color of the blood for the most part. It's, like, black or green or, like, some other color other than red because they thought that would help them get a R rating, but it didn't work. So... I mean, I guess the movie kind of does play around. I mean, at least watching it this time, you kind of get, you know, that joy watching other like people getting tormented. What is that? That German word, right? Schadenfreude. Yeah, like, why don't we stop on the freeways and look at the car crashes and stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, at least that's not us with the situation. I don't know how much I feel that in this. I mean, I think they do a lot of dumb things. There are so many poor choices in this film. Yeah. And obviously, like, that happens in every horror movie ever, but right. this one, just, what, like, someone's asleep. Like, <laughs> They're just okay. sleeping through this madness. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, she does have an injury, but it's not like... You can't even keep track of all the poor choices, because they're happening, happening simultaneously all over the place, and it's like, okay... All you can die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I do feel like that. Like, okay, you kind of deserve it. Not because I like, not because of any overarching mm-hmm. whatever, just like, you're fucking dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, tapping in her window, you hear a voice that says, join us. Like, and you're like, running, hello? What? <laughs> running outside and then being stuck in the front door when you came out of the back door. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Like, okay, well, die again, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things like that, and so I don't know. Maybe the whole maybe the whole movie's a cautionary tale. Hmm. <laughs> they covered everything. I guess I, I don't know. I don't feel like the characters here. I mean, I guess in the broad sense, you could say like they go out of, from the city into the country, right? And there's a there's a long tradition of that right. in horror. Um, and actually, I think 
there are a couple sort of allusions in this film that point to that basic idea of like don't go out into the country because there's scary hillbillies out there that'll uh, kill you yeah so there's like deliverance but then um when they go down into the cellar they see a ripped poster of the hills have eyes uh down there so i guess the uh uh archaeologist uh, who was owned that cabin was a really fan <laughs> or he really hated it that's why he ripped it up i don't know but um so that is there's a backstory to that poster which is that um yeah that um in the hills have eyes there's like a, a trailer not a trailer what there's like an rv and inside the rv uh set um you can see a part of the poster for jaws that's ripped up mm -hmm. and um when the evil dead guys saw that in the movie they interpreted that as a message that you know you think you've seen something scary when you saw jaws this is the real scary movie like this is the real shit and so they wanted to do that to them and sort of you know uh pass it along to wes craven the filmmaker who made uh hills have eyes and so then in uh a nightmare on elm street uh there's a scene where one of the kids is watching a movie on tv and it's the evil dead so that's a, another reference back and so then in Evil Dead 2, when he goes into the shed, you can see uh, Freddy Krueger's scissor glove is in the shed. So there's all go back and forth with these little references. Yeah, it's pretty neat. But anyway, so there's that. And then in the cellar also, there's like these hanging gourds uh, and right. stuff. What the hell is with the gourds? Yeah, the, the sort of decor down there. Is very Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. So there's also That's like a scarier than body parts. Yeah. It's creepy, and you're like, why? Yeah, it doesn't really fit. It's just fucking random. Yeah, but I definitely think that's like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing, which is another movie. Uh, Hills Have Eyes is also a movie where people sort of go out into the desert, into the countryside, and and they encounter uh, inbred hillbillies who want to eat them. Um, so. Here in Evil Dead, they don't encounter hillbillies. Uh, that's for the sequel. Um, but uh, there is a sense of, like, don't go out of the realm of the comfortable and safe, or else bad things will happen to you. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's also getting into shit that, like, that basically playing with stuff that you don't know can lead to. Mm -hmm. Don't touch other people's shit. Yeah. Yeah, so books, uh, books are dangerous. <laughs> the film was originally going to be called Book of the Dead, by the way, but uh, I think when they brought it to Rob Tappert, the producer, I think it was him who said, nobody's going to watch a movie about a book. Yeah, literary references are boring. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? Would that have been better? Even though it's so fucking random to me, like this doesn't really mean anything. It sounds very. It sounds like a joke. No, Evil Dead does. Evil Dead is like let's put two words together that like sound really cool. Yeah, two scary words. Super scary. Well, did you know? Did you see some of the other titles that they were talking about? No, I didn't. The movie titles. I don't know how many I put down. Oh god, where did I put it? 
But they, they were talking about some alternate um, titles, and one of them was These Bitches Are Witches. <laughs> oh my god, I remember that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. Heard that. I don't know where I read that, but they had like a bunch of different titles, and one of these bitches are witches. What you guys wrote about that? <laughs> it sounds like something that I would like. It sounds like something I would have used as a MySpace name or something. Mm. <laughs> witches get stitches. I don't know something. You know, um, I read Bruce Campbell's book, so I know. I, it's oh, been a while since I read it, so I remember reading a lot of the alternate titles and a lot of the little, you know, anecdotes about the film, but... Yeah, maybe we should say that, like, this is one of those movies where the behind-the-scenes stuff is almost as fun oh, to watch as the movie itself. Like, stories. watch the watch the commentary track, uh, and, and these guys are just such funny people, and, yeah. and, and like, they have, there's so many crazy stories of behind-the-scenes, how they made the, the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's weird. Like, it's like, you shouldn't let that stuff behind like how the movie was made that shouldn't impact how you enjoy the film itself but it really does in this case just knowing like what an underdog story it was i think adds yeah. a lot of charm to and it. how hard yeah. they like hustled to get the money to make it it's it's tons of great stories Absolutely. yeah they have to stop filming mm-hmm. and then go put on business suits yeah big for money and then come back and... <laughs> it's pretty insane it's awesome it's really cute how tight they are and like Well, apparently it doesn't kill the evil force because the last shot of the film is the evil force racing well, into Ash and possessing him. The guy mentions that on the tape. Anyway, just like it's always there. It doesn't really die, but it like waves dormant or whatever. Hmm. But, I mean, I'm just saying they, they seem to die, though, once it dies. So it did mm-hmm. something. Maybe, maybe it's control lessons or whatever. Like, it can't really do what it... And obviously, you know, able to doesn't kill him. We know that now. But. So, I don't know. That's kind of like a weird thing uh, that I thought about when I was watching it. Like, okay, well, maybe that's where, like, a joke, and they talk about that in the movie, too, a joke goes too far. Hmm. Yeah. So they were just having too much fun, and they didn't realize, like, mm. oh, this is going to lead to my own death, too. Yeah. So, yeah, their love of other people's suffering doesn't get them very far in the end. Like, it seems to be like that's that's their only real goal. Um, yeah. And uh, it's self-defeating in the end, I guess. Um, we get, and then over the end credits, we get that same, like, silly music uh, that plays on the, the record player. 
only it sort of like winds down and dies. So that maybe is a similar kind of idea. You know, it's like it's on a loop and then it's just going to wear itself out. Um, maybe it has to like hibernate to recharge itself. Hmm. Yeah, because it doesn't like it. Yeah, wake us from our slumber. So that, yeah, there's something kind of like Lovecraftian about the evil here. Um, and so maybe it's not a coincidence that they then changed the title of the, the evil book in the sequels to the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, which is where this podcast gets its name, loyal listeners, um, uh, which is the, the name, the Necronomicon is the name of the the book that has the secrets of the uh, elder gods in the Lovecraft mythos. It is a difficult film to categorize because it's really not like a possession film either in the vein of uh, uh, The Exorcist or something like that because it's not religious. Like these aren't the, these aren't demons from like Judeo-Christian mythology. They're ancient Sumerian demons. There's sort of, there is this Lovecraftian sense that like they're this evil force that permeates the world that predates any religion or any kind of mythology that is, exists to explain them. There is a weird moment in the film, though, where, like, I don't know, I think it's Ash, who, like, hold, like a, a window might have been shattered or something, and there's, like, a frame left, and it almost looks like a cross. Hmm. He oh, he goes, does put a cross. Yeah, he, he does put the cross in these cinema graves, eventually, or whatever, but, like, he holds it up, and then it's just, like, no. <laughs> like, it's not going to do anything. Yeah. I don't know if that's hmm. what you're but... I didn't catch that. religious tones at all. They don't ever try to, like... There's no, not, one of them is like some church door or something that's like, this is, blah, blah, blah. There's no Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do quote some, like, uh, language. I'm not sure if it was Latin or something, but then it just translates to party down at the beginning. Oh, yeah. I really expected you to be like, actually, that's not right. <laughs> I was going to put my no, I'm not sure. I, I was wondering, like, is that Latin? But I don't, I don't recognize that phrase. So I need to, it might be Greek, actually. Um, it's something that one of their teachers taught them to say, right? That translates to party down. So yeah, there's there's a, um, like we were talking about, you know, they, they have a sort of a lack of seriousness about them as they're encountering things like this ancient book. Right. They're just like, oh, let's have fun with it. Yeah, I mean... And so that, in a way, the demons who are also just having fun with their lives are sort of like the nightmare version of this college life joviality that these characters sort of embody. So maybe that's like the cautionary thing going on here, you know, like take life a little more seriously. But the weird thing is like the filmmakers are obviously not doing that either. Like the filmmakers are just having fun. So it's one of those films that I almost like, I don't know, like it it encodes this opposite moral message to the one that is like the, the filmmakers and the audience clearly uh, uh, seem to be going with. I don't know. Well, the film itself is kind of like a fucking weird uh, establishment for the whole yeah. ratings and all of that run for the times. Right, yeah. So like the, the <clears throat> like what we're talking about, like the philosophy of extremity, of going as far as you can possibly go, that also could characterize the demons in the film, right? They are creatures that go to the furthest extreme possible. Like their physical appearance and everything that they do is just like, you know, 
uh, breaking all the taboos and all the boundaries. So they, in a way, could be like the mascots for the film and its its philosophy, even though they're the evil part, you know, the evil entity in the film. And yeah, I was so, and I don't know any overarching sort of major things that they were trying, like you know, critiques on society that they were trying to make or anything. So all of that, I mean, I, I don't know like how great I think it is in that sense. But, you know, I do think once you get into all the stuff outside of the film and the blood, sweat, and tears they put into it and then all the funny random tidbits, it sort of makes it, I don't know, less of, like, this isn't trying to compare itself to, like, Gone with the Wind or, like, anything like that, you know what I mean? Or even other horror films. Yeah, like, it's it it relishes its own status as, as not high right. art. Yeah. Right. And so I think with that in mind and all the difficulties and the budget and how amateurish they were in some ways, but also bold. Like, it comes out being a really sort of interesting and fun film and leads on to other, you know, films. Which we'll be talking about in future episodes. So join us as we discuss Evil Dead 2 uh, on our next episode of Cinematicon X Mortis. And thank you to Justin for uh, guest appearing on this episode. No problem. Anytime.